Welcome back to another episode of the 423 Soccer Pod, the podcast that CFC built. This is Jim, a.k.a. Chattagooner, and tonight we've got Shelly and Todd on the call. Uh, a little bit later, we'll be joined by Jason Longshore from the Atlanta United Network, and we'll talk a little bit about the um, upcoming friendly. But first, guys, how, how are you doing uh, over in the other side of Brainerd and, and up in Bradley County, or over in Bradley County, whichever? Doing great. It's been a good week. Yeah. No, it's been a tiring week, I'm, but I'm glad to yeah. get here. I'm glad to get going. Uh, another another week closer to CFC getting back on the field. We, you know, we have a, a tangible game just like you know a little more than a week away. Uh, the high school soccer is getting started up here, so it's good. All, everything's turning. Yeah, can you believe that we have we have CFC soccer in just a little bit over a week? It's no hard to uh, believe. It's amazing. We're well, describing uh, we, such we, a big a big like you know preseason. It's, it's going to be a nice build up this year, I think. Mm-hmm. That's right. We and we still have some news to find out about a couple of those preseason games. I, um, I'll be. I know. Excited, I'm sitting on the edge of my to seat to figure those out. Too. Yep. Um, so a little bit of news came out today. We've got a home for three more years at Finley Stadium. Um, I you know so yes, we'll, we're going to big big news. That yeah, is we'll great get, news. We'll get on and make sure that we've got manganadas for those three years. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure that was part of the the uh, the, the contract. contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh you know maybe jeremy's gotten over his hatred and and we made it we got it we snuck it in uh we snuck it into the to the pod um or to the contract and and then tonight while we were well i guess when when was the antoine signing i don't remember it was uh, just, literally like let's see when did i send it to our no 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 not not the not the john not jonathan burke oh, not, oh, not oh, the, second the antoine one. yeah um, it was yesterday or day before we got got yeah. word that the that that Chattanooga is going to have not only the golden boot and the golden ball, mm-hmm. but the golden glove winner from yeah, last that year. That was on Sunday. Oh, was it well, Sunday? Was it th- was it that? Well, long no, ago? I guess I sent it on Sunday. So, and that was four. So that was what, last Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, has last, it, last, what? Oh, anyway, okay. What? It does not It wasn't that long ago. Anyway, we're. I'm excited. Uh, you got you and Shabby. I can't remember which one of you were like, we need keepers. We need keepers. We need keepers. That was me. Oh, yeah, that was you. That was me. I just, wanted, I, didn't, well, I just wanted a keeper because we hadn't had one yet. Well, they now we two, have, so now yep. we've got two. Now Antoine's coming two. in. I'm sure he will. I think, um, the club, the club has put number 15 on the site. I don't know if that's his actual number or if he's going to, or if, if he'll change that to where the number one, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be the starting keeper. And then tonight, while we were recording and CFC, I want you to know, I know you thought we were only going to record for an hour. So you waited until eight eleven on the Thursday night to release this. We have a new, uh, another keeper, uh, a rookie, Jonathan Burke from where did he play? He played, he played Drake. college soccer at Eastern Illinois and Drake mm-hmm. and will be joining as a second keeper. So now wait, 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 bonus points. If you know the mascot for Drake. I don't know. Is it a bird? The bird. It's not the fighting okra. I can tell you that. No, what is it? Drake. I have no idea. The Um, demons. It's a bulldog. Bulldog. Drake bulldogs. Yeah, it says Drake University is the bulldogs. There you go. Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, Is it the? I did not know it was in Iowa. I I thought for sure it was somewhere in the Midwest. Yeah, 
It sounds like well, Iowa is kind of Iowa is kind of the Midwest. What, where, where Google is Google Iowa? is telling me that it is the Bulldogs. Yep. Okay. Well, it's the Bulldogs. Yep, it is. The color is blue and white, so he'll he'll fit right in. Um. So yeah, it's awesome. We have uh, the team is filling out. Still need some center backs, and still need some midfielders, and still need some backup. We we still need people hey. on all levels, but. Hey, maybe there's maybe there's a center back that's not that far away that actually has Chattanooga ties, you know? I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, maybe so. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe somebody that's in maybe this so. youth academy. Maybe so. Um, so, and we also heard that uh, one of the guys that uh, we knew we knew at least was not immediately coming back. We weren't sure. You know, he hadn't been announced really anywhere. Frankie is headed uh, to Lexington, right? He's headed over to Lexington. Yeah, he's also heading that way. Yep. So Lexington, yep, Lexington is starting their NISA All Stars two over there in uh, in USL one. So a championship coming their way. We oh, hope. Yeah. <laughs> we really hope that he is successful there. We'll miss him. Uh, I was a little surprised when, when. So who knows why? You know, it, it, there could be a number of reasons why uh, why we did. If he had an option, we didn't pick it up, but. Uh, I hope that uh, he is successful and 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 does well over in Lexington. Uh, this Saturday, men's men the men's open tryouts are yeah. going to be tomorrow or Saturday morning. Uh, I hope to see people out there open if you want to come and and check check out uh, the guys who are trying out. Yeah. Starts at nine thirty. Nine thirty early yeah. Saturday morning. I mean, yeah, it, it's it, a, players it's arrive amazing. at eight thirty. I know this because I'm helping with check in again <laughs> so is it gonna be is it gonna be yes. rainy cold or both i, I hope know. it's just cold i'm really tired of this rain oh yeah get out of here with that i really did not enjoy last year's super rainy tryout I mean, oh we yeah made it that through, was not, but it was yeah. miserable it was fun so but miserable it looks like right now saturday is a high of 54 low of 41 partly okay. cloudy that's your I'll weather not bad yeah, I will that's, take that's it. That's perfect, actually, because it'll be, you know, it'll be when the sun comes out, it'll warm up a little bit. That'd be great. And like, and like you awesome. guys said, like it's it's open to the public. So, yeah, you, know, yeah. you have no excuse to not come down. I mean, well, I do right. have an excuse, actually. Uh, well, I mean, you're be, saving lives. No, no, no. It's not even that. I'll, I'll be, uh, we're recording our coaches' show Saturday morning at, uh, oh, for Monday that's Night awesome. Football. Oh, so. okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll that, have all the well, high school coaches. I could just not show up for the first show of the year. You think that'd go over pretty well? I mean, probably like know. a lead balloon. Uh, let's that'll be honest; be they probably wouldn't even notice I wasn't there. That'll, yeah, that'll be fine. That'll <laughs> well, be we'll, fine. We'll give you the updates that we see while we're there. Yep. And then we're still waiting on we're still waiting on some some additional news for our friendlies. We've got dates, but we don't have who mm-hmm. we're playing, and so hopefully we will get that news pretty quickly. And you know, we are also even though we were we uh, little birdie told me we might we might have news last week. And then a little birdie said we might have news this week. Yeah, little birdies, these little birdies are not very, they're not very. Um, news about what? Do you think these little birdies Nisa. might be mockingbirds? Oh, they could be. What do you mean news about Nisa? Like a schedule? Yeah, well, at least maybe a competition format or maybe a well, list we know of teams. what's been holding it up. I mean, because uh, oh, Pulse Flower can't decide what city to play in. <laughs> That's what the holdup is. We're not. T- oh my God. We weren't going to talk about it. We weren't no. going to talk. We're not going to yeah. talk about it. We're not going to talk dumb. about it. Moving on. It's, yeah. Well, 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 yeah. Maybe we'll talk about it during the season when we, we have to figure out who we're playing. Um, like, honestly, I don't know why, but when I first saw it roll out, I know we're not going to talk about it, but here we are. I, I, I saw it. Yeah. I saw it. And for some reason, I thought, my God, they've joined two clubs together and they've moved them to Salt Lake City. 
I was like, what yeah. is he? Yeah. But you know what? It was actually worse. Yeah, it was yeah. worse. It was worse. It, yeah. That's like yeah. the hokey pokey. They got one foot in and one foot out. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. We'll 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 talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about, talk about that, that later. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. Um any any so that was quickly going around the club. Anything anything else that you guys want to talk about before we before we get to Jason on here and talk a little bit uh of uh preseason action with CFC and Atlanta United? Well, just as a lead up to Saturday, I don't know if y'all saw the announcement on Twitter. I think it was beginning of the week that all the midfield is it looks like sold out, right? I think it's now oh, yeah. sold out. Yeah, the, like, the chairbacks. The chairbacks yeah. are sold out. So yeah, and dumb, dumb me. I haven't, uh, I haven't. I'm going to out myself here. I haven't got my annual pass yet. Jim Hicks. I know it's all. I know. What I know. is your it's excuse? Um, just I don't know. I don't have an excuse. So I, I'm going to have to choose some other seat and then come back and and hope shame. the club can help me out find oh, my no, get my old shame. seats again. I know it's awful. So don't be a gym. Don't be a Chattagooner. Go out there and get your annual pass and your club pass. Um, don't be a gym. Especially um, since you've got the matches coming up that are only for those who have bought I their know. season passes. Jim. I know you would That's think important. You would think yeah. that that alone. People. <laughs> yeah. people. And, and just a reminder, like to the combo pass for the men's and the women's, which includes yes. the, the game versus Atlanta United are 160 bucks for the year. It's nothing. Come it's off nothing. it, people. Man, now, I, don't, I, I don't mean to. No, I, I do. I, I understand. It's real money when gas is yeah. $3 yes. a gallon. Oh, 100%. It's real money. Uh, but I took, so, but so I took a gander. $10 I took a, a week for the yeah. next 16 weeks. I took a out. look. I took a look at like USL League One and championship ticket prices, and I'm like, what is going on over there? Yeah, um, no, yeah, they're real proud of their ticket prices. So, so the that well, somebody's got to pay for their tax breaks. <laughs> Wait, that's not how that works, is it? Yeah, we're not talking Wait, about no, that. Somebody's got to pay for their road to their state. No, oh god, uh, I, somebody's got to pay, pay for, for their drainage. From somebody's got to line man. the pockets of the owners. There we go. Jeez. Got it. Finally Lord got it. Mercy, <laughs> got it right. Is that some? Is that a bunch of BS or what? We're not going to talk about that either. But just check out the Chattanooga Free Press about uh, roads in East Ridge. I mean, come on. Um, yeah. Anyway, all right. Next on the show, we'll have a, a great guest to talk about the upcoming friendly between Atlanta United and our own Chattanooga Football Club. The fourth time the Five Stripes will take on the Blues in all of our competitions. Uh, it's Jason Longshore who is a commentator for Atlanta United and Atlanta United 2. He hosts a producer of Soccer Down Here, which is a podcast and show that covers soccer all around the Southeast from MLS all the way down to MPSL, maybe even covers a little Nice every once in a while when he wants to get his hands dirty. Uh, he has worked for Atlanta Silverbacks. Um, again, I think I have to mention, for those of, for both of you who are listening, you will know that we were robbed in 2015 again in the Open Cup. And then, of course, the Reserves, Phil, you were not off your line. I don't care what that ref said. I know he said it twice, but you weren't uh, in 2018. Jason, thank you for joining us from all the way down in Atlanta, Georgia. How are things uh, down there? It's about to be season seven uh, of Atlanta United, which is so crazy because it feels like it was yesterday. But it also, we're starting to get to that point where there is history to talk about. And I mean, my, my time in soccer in Atlanta goes back way before that so it's cool to catch up with you guys and and talk about 
kind of the rise of, of all of this and, and Chattanooga's role in it. And it's going to be fun to be there next weekend. Now, Jason, tell us exactly how far back in, in soccer do you, do you go? Like where, where are your origins at? Were you, were you a player or did you just kind of come into it uh, and then just become uh, fall in love at another time or? I grew up playing um, starting in 1986. Um, I'm old, first off. That's number one. And, and, and two, like I was the weird kid in Riverdale, Georgia, who found soccer when he was nine years old. Um, I played a year at the local YMCA and like had no real frame of reference. I just it was fun and, and I liked it. And I played that spring. And then the summer of 1986, I saw the World Cup on TV. and It was the first soccer, like real soccer that I ever saw. And I fell in love with it uh, because of Diego Maradona and Argentina. What did and you have? One of those huge satellites in your backyard. How did you see the world cup in 19 randomly like NBC and ESPN actually had games in 86. And it wasn't something that like I knew to look for it. Just, I think it was, I think the France Brazil game was on a weekend. It was a quarterfinal and I like stumbled on it and found it. And then I specifically remember watching the semifinal of, of Argentina and Belgium. And that was the game that hooked me and Maradona in that match hooked me. And then like, I remember like finding that the final was going to be on TV and the old TV guide back in the day. And, and it was appointment viewing. Like that's the first game that I was like, I have to watch this. And from then on, I was hooked and I played uh, all the way through high school, had a chance to play in college, uh, but had committed to go to UGA didn't have a varsity men's soccer team. And while I was at UGA, I started, I'd become a fan of the Atlanta Ruckus. That was the first team at any significant level that I had a chance to see. And I mean, I fell in love with the game in 86. The Ruckus started 95. That was what soccer was like at that time. And I went to all the Ruckus games that I could go to. The team almost folded multiple times and then had a chance in 1997 to First start as a volunteer and then work part-time for the Ruckus in 97 and in 98. Helped the team kind of survive after the the owner's franchise rights were revoked and the the league ran the team for the rest of that season and then ended up becoming the Silverbacks. And then years later, I ended up working for the Silverbacks down the road. So all of that, working for soccer in the streets on the nonprofit side, all of that led me to the radio opportunity with Atlanta United um, from day one. And I've had a chance to be on a, a broadcast, whether it's stream or radio or TV for every Atlanta United match that's been broadcast so far. It's just, it's amazing to be part of it. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty incredible ride when you, when you, you know, you lay it all out for us like that. Uh, was there, I guess, uh, kind of tying in like CFC, uh, what was your first, like, uh, introduction to Chattanooga FC was it when you were with the Silverbacks no this is actually funny um I helped start the first team uh first three teams um but I was the one in Atlanta with Atlanta FC um that then became the Silverbacks reserves but we started the NPSL South region um Andy Zorvich over in Huntsville had reached out to the group that I was working with. Uh, we had a U23 team that went to the USASA National Finals um, in 2007, uh, beat Scott Gallagher Club um, to get to the final, lost to, I think it was Portland United from Oregon in the final, and it was a team of all 
uh, Latino guys from the Metro Atlanta area. And we're playing like D1 guys. And we had one player he played in college. The rest of the guys were working. Um, but we're trying to figure out a way to keep that team together and figure out what the landscape was. Because in 2007, 2008, there really wasn't a landscape for teams like that. It just didn't really exist. And Andy Zorovich reached out and saw what we had done and was talking about starting an NPSL region. He had the team in Huntsville that became Rocket City United. And there was another team in Greenville that first year. There were only three of us. And we went to the, we won the region of three teams. And the NPSL forced us to play in a, a playoff uh, against a team from St. Paul, Minnesota, which is a, a whole crazy experience that ended up losing that. But the next year, the team from Greenville dropped out. There's another team from the Atlanta area that came in and we met the folks who were starting CFC and it was incredible to be at Finley for the first game in CFC history, which Atlanta FC won, by the way, I, I don't want to rub that in too much. <laughs> Listen, we don't need you to rub in facts here. <laughs> I, I will always remember that game though, as something where it was like, wait a minute, this is something completely different than the year we just had where you might have a few, you know, a hundred people, a couple hundred people at a game. This is different. And this was before you guys really got going. So it was just amazing to see that from the very, very beginning and be back there many other times with huge crowds and just what CFC has turned into. Um, it's just amazing to see the, the growth of it. Well, I'm interesting since you, you were there in the, at the, at the really beginning, um, you know, what, what do you see as, as kind of the role of, you know, that initial experience and, and what the NPSL Southeast really, you know, it turned into, you know, four or five years, well, yeah, four or five years later, which then spurred, I think, you know, a, a lot of clubs then left and, and became USL championship clubs and, and, and then, you know, MLS soccer came to the Southeast. Do you, do you see a tie to what you experienced in, 07, 08, 09 to really what we see now in the Southeast, which is a region of the country, which is probably better, has better coverage for pro soccer than really anywhere else. Yeah, I think it's, it's very important. Um, I think MLS is kind of its own animal because of the costs that we're talking about to, to get there. And, you know, I remember around that same time, Arthur Blank exploring expansion for Atlanta and the stadium piece wasn't coming together. So he put it on hold. That was always going to be down to, um, to honestly, in Atlanta, if, if Arthur was going to do it, he was the really the only one who could. I know there was talk about Forrest Dracunica and the Silverbacks having that kind of opportunity. They never had the resources to do it. They never had the, the real mechanisms to get that done. But I think the the part that gets lost in it and you know i've been involved on both sides of it so i i see both like atlanta united and what they did coming in in 2017 is massive for what has happened in soccer in the southeast you know you don't have charlotte you don't have nashville if atlanta doesn't show that you can make that happen but everything under that and and i'm i'm saying everything whether it's usl championship and, and on down a lot of that is down to people seeing what Chattanooga did and saying, I can do that on my scale. And that's what I think was so special about that era of the NPSL South region and the Southeast section of it specifically was that you've had teams and, and clubs that 
some had the resources to to last a long time some organized to themselves to make it fit like like cfc did with their growth uh some have kind of figured out their their spot like the georgia revolution who i've been involved with and have helped over the years it's you need all of it i i think to really have that thriving soccer ecosystem because every player who comes up in the southeast region of the country is not going to make it to the mls level and the fact that there are soccer jobs for players just the playing side of it um at all levels and guys can make a living or make pretty close to a living and find ways to supplement it and chase that dream at all levels is so cool for kids growing up, which I didn't have it as a kid. I didn't, I didn't see that route because it didn't exist. Now, if you don't make it to Atlanta or Nashville or Charlotte, you can make a living in Chattanooga. You can make a living in some of these other markets. And it's so important that that exists. And that's just the playing side. That's not even getting into the coaching. That's not even getting into all the community work that all these different organizations do. Soccer in the South, and and we can define it however we want in terms of the boundary. Soccer in the South is what's going to take soccer in the United States to a whole nother level as it continues to mature. Because we're only starting to see the kids from this area start to get to that level. And you can cascadia can say what they want the northeast can say what they want texas can say what they want california whatever it's gonna be soccer in our neck of the woods that's really gonna take soccer across the country to a whole nother level you're right you wonder how long we're gonna wait before we see another kid from alabama you know starting in the premier league for crystal palace to watch chris richards (laughs) yes you know run out against manchester united a few days ago and hey i'll tell you the real right I, I think you're going to see a kid from Chattanooga start for the U.S. men's national team not that far down the road named Noah Cobb, who's with Atlanta United. And Noah yeah, Cobb and Thomas, is Academy. Yeah, an incredibly talented young player. Um, blows me away with his maturity. And he is, in my opinion, and Carlos Bocanegra has, has gone on the record saying this, I think he is a future national team player. And he's Chattanooga born and bred. So uh, moving forward to the the current day, you know, how, uh, what do you think about, uh, you know, Atlanta United year two go and win the MLS cup and, and um, have uh, has certain level, you know, kind of various levels of success since then, you know, we, what do you see for them going into 2023? Hopefully health. Because last year was the craziest year I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, y'all had a lot of year, uh, a lot of injuries. <laughs> I've never seen a year like that where I've I've never seen a team have three Achilles ruptures in one season. I've never seen a team with two, and you lost two of your goalkeepers with Achilles ruptures. It's just in, insane bad luck, and that's not getting into you know Osvaldo Alonso and the ACL when he gets hit in DC. Like you had at at one point out of the starting real back six of the team, including the goalkeeper, so seven guys, you had six of them out. You had one center back, one defender who didn't miss a significant chunk of the year. So it's it's almost impossible to to even judge 2022, in my opinion, because of that. So you got to stay healthy. That's number one. Um, now you have to you have to find somebody who's going to score goals. And for the last couple of years since Joseph Martinez got hurt in Nashville, 
You know, you haven't had that consistent goal scoring threat and, and Joseph has moved on. And I think that's best for, for both him and the team and whoever replaces him. We know the size of the shoes to fill, but that role will be so critical to what 2023 looks like for Atlanta United. And, you know, seeing them in Chattanooga next week, it's going to be an kind of incomplete version of what the 2023 Atlanta United team will look like. I think like when he, probably the biggest signing for at Atlanta for me isn't a player at all. It's uh, it's Garth Lagerway. Uh, bringing him into Atlanta and you look at a guy like that, his pedigree and what he's done going from Salt Lake, Real Salt Lake, and what he did there, what he did in Seattle, and now coming to Atlanta. I mean, you have to feel really good about uh, him coming in and having uh, all the resources that he'll have at his disposal uh, in Atlanta. Yeah, I had a chance to talk to him the the day he was introduced here in Atlanta for uh, Twitter Spaces for the club. And he just struck me as somebody who is, one, so incredibly passionate about the game, like, like a lot of us are. But he's also so excited to learn about this kind of opportunity, whether it's learning about Atlanta and, and the, the soccer scene in Atlanta, but also being a CEO for the first time. Because I, I think... You know, his his history has been on the, the GM side and building teams and building rosters and dealing with the salary cap and, and all those sorts of things. And the uh, attractiveness to coming to Atlanta for him, and this is what he what he told me in that, that Twitter spaces, was the fact that he gets to be a CEO and, and not just the player side, which he's not going to directly oversee, but he'll definitely have his fingerprints on and he'll guide. But it's the the business of Atlanta United, which, you know, it, it's I think at times being involved in the game, like, you know, sometimes we look at that side of it as as bad or we don't want to talk about it or it, it corrupts the game or whatever. But it's a necessary part. I mean, at all levels, it's, it's necessary for the teams to be able to be sustainable. And, and that's that's really been like what I've beat the drum about about soccer in the South. And I think, you know, CFC has shown it. And, and many others have shown it, too, along the way, is that some have shown it from a bad example, but you have to be sustainable and you have to bring in money to cover costs and bring in money to grow if, if that's your goal and, and all these different things. So that's going to be a new aspect for, for Garth. And I think it's something that he's very excited about because that opportunity wasn't really on the cards for him in Seattle with their structure. There wasn't a CEO role exactly. Here there was, and he's replacing, just like, you know, we talked about whoever's going to replace Joseph Martinez. You know, Garth Lockerway's replacing, I think, one of the best soccer executives that we've seen in the United States in a long, long time in Darren Eels. You know, the the hire of Darren Eels by, by Arthur Blank in 2014, a uh, long time before the Atlanta United hit the field, was instrumental in the success that the club has had. And to replace him is, is, is not easy. And, and I think Garth will do it in his own way and, and find his success. He's just such a smart guy, and he's had success everywhere. And he's going to, I think, hit the ground running pretty fast in Atlanta. And I'm, I'm excited to be able to, to tell the story. See, that's exactly like how we feel about Jeremy Allenbaugh. You know, he was our general manager now uh, under the title of CEO. And, you know, you, you have a guy that's very similar. He's passionate, but he's also passionate about our community. He's passionate about growing it in our community. Um, and and it, it is. It, always, it is all about sustainability. 
you could, you know, what CFC did in early days was great, but that has to be sustainable, you know, over the next, you know, 25, 30, 50 years. And, uh, you know, we have unique challenges in Chattanooga and, and it is important to get that higher right. Uh, and I think, I think Chattanooga FC did when they brought in, uh, Jeremy and I, I think, uh, Atlanta has bringing in Garth as well. Uh, yeah, I, of, I agree with you. I, I spoke I, to Jeremy and he actually met Garth at one time and he goes, yeah, he's as far as an executive in the soccer world goes, he's like, he's, he's top notch. There's a lot of similarities between the, the two of them. And uh, I've had a chance to talk to Jeremy and uh, I'm excited. We're going to have Jeremy on 92.9 The Game in our pregame show next Saturday um, to talk about CFC and, and everything that he's doing there. But uh, you have to get that higher right. And, you know, it, it's not an easy job. I, I think it, it's easy to be on the outside and and yell so-and-so out or, you know, whatever we want to do with all that stuff. But it, it's a tough job to be in those roles. And there's a lot of pressure. And, you know, these people live it and breathe it. And, and I think the, the success that, that Jeremy's already had in Chattanooga is just a, a starting point for him. You know, it was a really smart hire by the club. And, and I think he's going to have just tons of success for the club over over time i'm just curious uh, anybody can jump in but just i was just curious if, in your opinion if you could go back i don't know let's say to maybe 2015 and and you knew you know atlanta united was coming in is there anything that that you think the club would do differently in their relationships say with with other cities uh say chattanooga fc or or something along those lines and growing the brand. Like, do you think, uh, this is obviously speculative. I mean, do you think it would have been wise to, you know, approach CFC about being a, a feeder team or something along those lines? Or do you think uh, it played out best the way it is? It's hard to say. Cause I don't know what conversations were had at that time, to be honest. And, and I'm, I know conversations were had across the landscape. Um, I mean, I, I know obviously, you know, Atlanta Silverbacks leadership and it, it changed over the, the time since Atlanta United was announced. I know there were conversations there. I would really be willing to assume that there were conversations between Atlanta United and the early days before the team hit the field and, and, and CFC and, and probably anybody else in the region that, that was going at that time. I think it's just a, a smart thing to do and it was something that, that Darren, I think, excelled in in terms of learning from what was going on around and, and i think you know it, it's not a it's not an accident that atlanta united's first game of any you know preseason or anything was in chattanooga I, I don't think that just happened you know um i don't know if it would have been the right move for cfc at that time to be a feeder team rather than be their own team and it would not have no, I don't think. So. <laughs> yeah, no, you, no, well, no, no I, I'm, I'm with you guys agree, on that. I'm, I'm interested, like in 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 uh, Jason's take from a kind of an outside perspective. Yeah, and the reason why I the reason why I say it the way that I do in that is that I, I I've been involved in feeder teams. I, I I know how important feeder teams are, and I think in some situations, in some markets, being part of a feeder team. No problem. It can work. I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens this year with MLS Next Pro with Huntsville and Nashville. I'm, I'm fascinated mm -hmm. by that to see how that goes. At that point, it wasn't like you were a year into CFC or two years or CFC was struggling or anything like that. It, it wasn't 
maybe necessary at that time. And, and I think it'd be a different trajectory. Is it a, a good one or a bad one? We don't know. We'll never know. But it would have changed what CFC is dramatically to be a feeder team as opposed to a standalone team. And I think what you guys have, have built in Chattanooga as a standalone team, you know, I, I think it's in a good spot. And I think everything worked out the way that it probably should have. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it kind of segues into the fact, too, you know, we've talked a little bit, we've touched about it before whenever y'all first came here, too. But just interested to see, hear your thoughts about the history of just Atlanta teams in CFC. Because we've talked about soccer in the South and how we both have like both areas have helped shape the trajectory of soccer here. But what is your take on, because we, we've basically played every iteration of team <laughs> in on our existence out of Atlanta. I, mean, I, I, I remember the days of driving down to Conyers, you know, for matches. Um, what, what's oh, yeah. your take on that? Yeah. I, I mean, I think in pretty early on, and this is me coming from the Atlanta FC and the Silverbacks reserve side of things. I think really early on the rivalry between you know our teams was was critical to the npsl growth and i think you didn't have that really elsewhere with other teams in the region i mean at that time you didn't have it with atlanta fc or uh, silverbacks reserves i think there's only one year that it was atlanta fc and georgia revolution you didn't have it cross town here it didn't feel the same it always felt big when it was either Silverbacks Reserves or Atlanta FC in Chattanooga. It felt big. The The game that I'll always remember um, is the Open Cup qualifying tournament. And I, I, you guys might remember the year. I don't remember the year. Um, the year that it went to, it didn't go to penalties. It was about to go to penalties. And I think it was like 118th or 119th minute goal by CFC to win and go into the Open Cup. Um, 2011 or 12 it was one of the two it was one of the first two years that we partnered with the the silverbacks and i remember that game because I, it was contentious because every game between atlanta and chattanooga was contentious and everybody's <laughs> yelling at the referees and coaches are, are yelling and and our coach got sent off and and he's up in the the box and uh he was trying to which you couldn't do at that time, trying to communicate with his assistant down on the bench about who he wanted to take the penalties because it was that close to the penalties. And I did, I mean, it, 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 that's, we were a lot smaller than you guys and, and we were all volunteer and, and running around and just trying to help. And I did a little bit of everything, whether it was social media or team ops or whatever. So I get the list from him and I'm running down the back stairs uh, from the press box down because the elevator didn't work to get down to try to take the list to the assistant coach. And as I'm in the back stairs, I hear the crowd go nuts and it's all at Chattanooga scored. So that's the, <laughs> the memory that I'll always have. Um, rivalries are, are vital. Just so you know, and we jammed that elevator. Yeah, Probably yeah. it, 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 that, was, that was purposeful. We can say it now. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I trust me. I have no problem believing that at all. Um, but that's the thing that that it was about it. And this was, I think, that era of NPSL that was so important. And I think maybe it, it maybe it's been lost. I don't know. I haven't been involved in, in NPSL kind of leadership at all since 2014, 15. Um, I think that era. Before before we took our hiatus in 2013 and we were 
you know, it was kind of us and, and Zorovich and Chattanooga kind of organizing and trying to grow this thing. Um, we worked together off the field and on the field as competitive as you could imagine. And players didn't like one another. Coaches probably didn't like one another. The fans didn't like one another. That's, that's fine. That's rivalry and that's good. But off the field, we were all working together to try to grow for the greater good. And I think that was so important and saw that growth and saw some teams like you guys continue to grow and, and become bigger than an NPSL team at that time, which is what was needed. And everybody ends up, you know, finding their level. Um, but the, the rivalries between the Atlanta teams and Chattanooga teams. And I was, I was pumped that, you know, the open cup draw last year happened the way that it did. Um, I, that was I think before all of our injuries. So we were in a much better place at that time, but you know, I, I really like what, what Rod is doing as the coach. Um, I've known him for a long time. I think you guys have a great coach and you guys are going to be always that team in the open cup that you don't want to see. And you're going to knock off an Atlanta team at some point. It's just going to happen. It's, it's, it's just the nature of it. That rivalry is very, very important and it's cool to see it continue. And, yeah, you know, I there's just something about Atlanta and Chattanooga that always feels like a bigger thing than other matchups. So uh, it kind of building off that and and growing the the sport in in general. I just you know for the record, uh, where do you stand on? Uh, let's talk about it. Pro rail. <laughs> oh boy, not even wow, wasting any, any, any setup. <laughs> Todd, that was not on our agenda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mal, someone zigged when he should have zagged. Well, I think it's, it is an interesting thing because I think the Open Cup brings, a, uh, you know, that aspect uh, to it, right, where you do get the David versus, versus Goliath that you do not see. David versus Goliath in MLS is, you know, uh, Atlanta versus, you know, small market Real Salt Lake or something along those lines. There are no true David versus Goliath that you get in some of the other leagues, like where you get a, a Bournemouth playing. I don't know. Cincinnati's pretty David. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they've gotten better though. Cincinnati's an interesting one now. Yeah, since they since they've uh, gotten more Atlanta United ex Atlanta United players. They <laughs> yeah, they went all the Atlanta United former guys and all the Philadelphia former guys. I, I mean, I've been involved in the the executive level of teams. I mean, like I said, going back to the the late nineties. So I've got probably a different perspective than, than most on this i've watched from a, a fan perspective the and, first and truly that's that why I've... i find your take fascinating is because like you i mean it's it's got a different it's got to hit differently right because yeah you know you were involved in with the ruckus and like you said you know at the very grassroots level of some of these and now you know when you're walking in to the bins and you're you're calling these games for 92.9 and you're sitting in the press box there with this uh, you know billion dollar stadium like it's you got to have like a, an interesting perspective on this yeah it's not an easy one because i mean the idea of pro rel is great the the idea of of what it is and and just strictly without putting the romanticism of you know the the english pyramid or any other pyramid on, on top of it just the idea of what it is it's great and it's a it's a wonderful thing the reality in the U.S. I think is is unique. I I don't know if it's ready right now. I, I don't know if it's ready at all levels. I think it's maybe the best way to put it. I think it might be ready at some levels, 
but it's not ready at all the levels. And I don't want to see growth. And like I mentioned, sustainability earlier, I, I don't want to see teams forced into things that maybe they're not ready to handle. Um, there was ProRel, or at least the pro part of it, back in the U.S. I, I guess it was still U.S. ISL at that time, um, the A-League in 98 into 99, I think, was the year that they trialed it. And the team, the Albuquerque Geckos, won the the pro league below the A league. I guess it was D3 Pro. I, the names changed so many times over the years I can't keep <laughs> yeah. up with them. But they won. They were a great team at that level. And they moved up. And they are, I think, by record, the worst professional team in United States soccer history since the NASL. And they lasted two years before ended up moving to Sacramento. It 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 killed it because they they couldn't handle the move up and are you ready in some situations to handle the move up yeah i I, like i've watched a good bit of usl championship and usl league one and i don't think there's a massive difference between the two there there is a difference to a degree at maybe the top of the championship versus the bottom of league one it's not a huge difference could you have promotion relegation between those and, and teams survive going either way. I think we always look at the, the going up part, the going down part can be a, a struggle too. I think they could. I, I think teams in, in NISA fit into that conversation, but the, the businesses are all different. It's tough because you'd love to see it in the ideal world, again, because the idea of what ProRel is, is, is good. The reality of it is not always positive. And I think what we're seeing right now is still a very important growth phase in American soccer where I don't want to see teams forced up that aren't ready to go up. We've seen teams choose to go up when they're not ready to go up and end up not lasting. And I just I I don't want to see that happen. I think we've started to stabilize finally to where you're not having you know, the, the old A-League, I mean, it would be 25 teams in one year, and then it'd be 18 the next year, and then it'd be 17 the following year, but there'd be 10 moves. And it was just, you couldn't keep up with who was who, and teams were lasting two years, three years. And I think that does a lot of damage to a market, and it's hard to then come in with a new team because people say, oh, well, what about this what about the the strikers and then what about the the quakes and then what about the tigers and you've been there's been four different pro teams in that market that have all collapsed and people look at soccer then as a failure because they don't make the 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 general public or the media might not make that differentiation so i think there's still growing to do i think there's still building to do and you know maybe at certain levels of the the misshaped pyramid that we have in American soccer, maybe you could have promotion relegation. Uh, USL's talked about it. We'll see if they do it. Um, but the Open Cup, especially in our setup right now, with different leagues and different names and different acronyms and same levels or different levels, the Open Cup has to be pushed harder and as a more important element of the American soccer season. Because maybe the pro rail part's not ready yet. The Open Cup's absolutely ready. 
in the Open Cup, we see upsets happen in a one-off. That doesn't mean a team could move up a level and, and survive. That means they can win a one-off. And that's great. And that's awesome. And those stories are amazing. The Open Cup, and I hope that HBO Max, Discovery, all of that, I hope that they really go all in on this thing because it can be the true American soccer like uniting force. And then maybe you get to a point where the business can support the pro rail part of it. The business, we don't always like to talk about it, but it's important. It pays the bills and it keeps teams afloat. And we got to make sure that part is stable. But the on-field competition between teams at different levels, the Open Cup has to be a priority for U.S. soccer, whether that's the entity of U.S. soccer or the community of U.S. soccer like, like we're all part of. Oh, you hit the nail on the head with that one. And like, what do we have to do to get U.S. soccer to to really get behind this? I mean, everybody's been screaming it for, gosh, years now. It's like, you show there's money in it. It's like you got one of the best tournaments like in, in the U.S. that you could have and you could make a spectacle out of it. But yet you you almost like choose to treat it like it's just some sort of unwanted entity. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just it's it's wild to me. It, it's wild to me, too. And I, I I understand to a very small extent uh, how U.S. soccer has since the time that I've been involved in the Open Cup. The Open Cup's always like one of my favorite things every year. I'm always the one who, you know, there was the, of course, the year that Atlanta United won the Open Cup. We didn't get to broadcast those games because of the structure of the agreement between U.S. Soccer and ESPN Plus for those games, which the ESPN Plus situation with more games being, you know, streamed, televised was amazing for the tournament. Don't do not get me wrong, but we weren't able to call those games. The final where the uh, opponent, Minnesota, was with an ESPN radio affiliate. We were not. They were able to call the game. We were not. In our stadium, and we're in our booth. We did pregame and we did postgame. We just couldn't call the actual game. And that was like getting kicked in the stomach for 90 minutes because I wanted to call that game more than anything because we, with Atlanta FC, you know, we tried to qualify for the Open Cup multiple times. We did qualify in 2009 and went to Charleston and lost 2-0 to the battery and finished with eight players in that game. And, <laughs> um, I, I would, the, the refereeing was slightly suspect Top-notch. in that game. Top-notch is the word you're looking for. <laughs> um, I, I, will, I will stay and try to be very calm and not say things that could get me in trouble. But, yeah, it, it, was, it was something. It was definitely something. Um, there were some very interesting decisions made in that match. But, but, I, but I think MLS has to start taking the tournament more seriously as well, right? I mean, and, and MLS teams, I mean, it's the shortest distance to uh, the Champions League, right? Yeah. It, the Champions thing, League. It's the it, shortest. It is. Yeah. It's vital. The thing that I think, you know, we all have to realize in, in this, because it happens in the FA Cup, uh, and I'm not even getting into the, the League Cup and all the League's Cup, the League's Cup for the U.S. and Mexico, I'm fascinated by, and I think will be really cool. The League Cup in England. Please get rid of that tournament. Yes. <laughs> get rid of the thing. Yeah. They have a, I think they have a League Cup in France, too. The, the, we yeah. call it the Gummy Bear Cup in England. Like, get rid of it, please. Like, it doesn't matter because it gets too crowded. And look, League's Cup, you're going to have teams in MLS you're going to have to prioritize. And that's okay. You know, some teams are going to take 
the the open cup maybe a little less seriously maybe that first round game comes at a point where they're beat up they've got some injuries they can't quite go with their first their first team or they want to give some of the young guys an opportunity to go that's cool where i get frustrated is when a team gets through a couple of those rounds and they need to play the young players the the young guys have to get these experiences especially when they're on the road some of these tough hostile environments they have to deal with that that's how young players grow it's a very important thing and we see it in every cup competition worldwide but when you get into that round of 16 maybe quarterfinal then you're talking three four games to a championship and a trophy and a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League and that's where teams have to go full bore and I was happy to see Atlanta do that in in 2019 when you know it was uh St. Louis FC who came in in the quarterfinal they were on one of their one of the magical cup runs that we see over the years and they got to that quarterfinal and and it was played in Kennesaw at Fifth Third Bank Stadium and you know, Atlanta United went with the first choice lineup. And I remember Pitti Martinez just being amazing in that match. I was yeah, that really was, that was Jeremy's uh yeah, St. It was. Louis. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yep, it was. Yeah, and, and that was a, a great club and they made a great run in that tournament. They gave Atlanta a tough match. Ultimately Atlanta gets through it. But you need when it gets to those later stages, you have to take that tournament more seriously. But across the board, US soccer has to take it more seriously and I know you got to look at the bottom line. You got to look at the the P and L and and all these things. And it's not a big money maker yet. Sell a title sponsorship on it. Find a title sponsor for it. If it's not twenty million dollars straight out of the gate, if it's two or three, that's better than zero. And put something on it so then you can sell it for more the next time and put more money into the tournament and put more coverage into the tournament and tell these stories. A, a documentary about some of the smaller teams in the Open Cup who make these runs would be so massive for it. Somebody needs to fund that. If I win the lottery, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> you can count me in with that one too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we all had the money. I have dreams of winning the Mega Millions. So, yeah, we can add to the Mega Millions wish list. Yeah, that that is shelters and funding the U.S. Open Cup. I'm in on both. I am all in on all of that. Well, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm stating the obvious here, but you know, you know, there are there are several structural issues that I just don't know that. I mean, I, I don't know that we can we can really get over the you know the 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 ability of amateur teams to participate has gotten more and more difficult. The NCAA and how college soccer um, impacts professional soccer, and and I mean, there's just two separate, just two separate worldviews of what the sport is and what it should be and I, it's you know i mean it's we're just a we're just such a mishmash of um uh, of ideas and and uh, and, and I, I think you know the, the the fault at least where i from where i'm sitting lies you know right at soccer house and the inability to get everybody rowing in the same direction now i i just don't know how i just don't know how we could you know, they can really do, I mean, you know, the, the top three levels, you have compelling games, but the the real, the real quote unquote magic of the cup is when those amateur teams do something and it, it's getting more and more difficult for them to even be able to participate because of the, 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 the timing of the, of the competition and the overlap between the NCAA and, and the summer, the summer leagues. It's, 
it's a uh, it's a real especially challenge, your, especially your NPSL teams, because you're talking kids like games start right at the end of college, and some of those teams. Well, yeah, I mean, set, I mean, all apart. <laughs> and, and league, I mean, yeah. league two, it probably impacts them even more because they have mm-hmm. m- more of their teams are made up of of D one and and you know D two exactly. You know, it's soccer twofold. players. It's twofold to me, um, and I, I mean, I've been part of an NPSL team that drew decent bit of college guys like we were never whether it was atlanta fc or silverbacks reserves we were never completely dependent on the college players and i know a lot of npsl teams are um we had a lot of local guys like local guys Mm -hmm. who didn't have the opportunity to go to college some guys who were playing in high school some guys who were working for a living at that point and just trying to get a break um and, and that's what I think a lot of the amateur teams, probably there's as many of those as there are of the ones that, that rely on college players. I think you can't fit the tournament into the window if you only do it when the college players are available to those teams. I, I just, I don't think as that's the tournament point. thrown. Sure. You, yeah. Logistically, you can't. Right. I'm, I'm 100% with you. And this is something that the NCAA and U.S. soccer need to sit down and and figure out where you're going to draw the lines because it's always been ridiculous to me that an NPSL team, for example, Myrtle beach was a prime example of this. Myrtle beach went down the the path of, we are not going to have college players because you had to make this choice. We're not going to have college players so we can have some professional players and and they paid guys to play. It was all above board. Everything was fine. They had those players. They couldn't have current college players. So at NPSL and and I don't UPSL I'm I'm sure is under the same kind of rule set. If you have current college players like enrolled guys in college, you can't have professional players in that team. You have to choose yep. one or the other. Right. But and if you have not gone to college, and we see that saw this with Atlanta United too. You see this with with other situations. If you have not gone on to college, you can play as an amateur. Right. in a team as professionals and you don't lose your college eligibility mm-hmm. that's a stupid line to draw <laughs> like it, it's just it's, it's stupid i get if you sign somebody to a professional contract okay they can't play in college anymore but they have to change this idea of like you can do it before you go to college and once you go to college you can't go then go do this or do that and it, it doesn't make sense um i believe in the college game i i've i've called college games over the last six years now i started doing oglethorpe at d3 in 2018 i did georgia state men and women this past year along with kennesaw state and i I, the the college game has an important place because not every player will come straight through an academy whether it's cfc or atlanta united and turn pro at 18 some guys need to go elsewhere and and cut their teeth or or grow up or you know get a different element to their game and seen it here in atlanta with somebody like machope chole who wasn't ready at 18 to be a professional soccer player but going and playing four years at wake forest he was ready and he's got an opportunity to to make a living at the game and he wouldn't have had that if he had turned pro at 18 i don't think he'd still be playing some guys are late bloomers um some guys grow up in you know Boise, Idaho, and don't have a professional academy to, to play in at whatever level, whether it's, you know, D1, 2, 3, whatever. 
they don't have access to professional academy and going to play at a college is their pathway to get seen and get noticed. I like that we have a lot of different pathways in this country. I think that's a good thing, but we need to get on the same page a little bit more. And the open cup is, a, a, I think, a, a sandbox that we can construct a little bit better. And U.S. soccer needs to sit down with the NCAA and, and figure out what that mechanism looks like for players to be able to participate more. If, you're, if, if the NCAA is not going to do the expanded season that has been proposed at different points of playing into the spring and not cramming 25 games into you know 12 weeks, if, if they're going to do like a, a full, okay, then we're having a different conversation. If they want to keep mm-hmm. their players in the college programs, that's fine. But if you're not, and you're going to make these guys stay and, and play in their you know spring season doesn't mean anything, and not have an opportunity to go play for their amateur team that they're attached to. I don't think that's right. So U.S. soccer and NCAA like need to sit down and figure out a better way to draw that line. And that would open up a lot more possibilities for the Open Cup. But I think the amateur side of the Open Cup has tilted to more of those kind of old school amateur clubs that exist outside of the college players coming back and playing not being solely reliant on that and you're seeing some of those clubs have the success now and be able to get through the qualifying rounds and get to it so well i mean those clubs that they rely on soccer or rely on college soccer they don't they don't even they have they decline i mean they they yeah. can't even and they ha- a lot of them have to but right. there's also a lot of them who don't necessarily explore the other way yeah and it's something that i've been really excited to see with with georgia revolution for example in that they you know, started as an a, a pure NPSL team. They they brought in their guys for the summer. They they brought in guys from other local schools and they played and then they went back to their schools. And now the 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 Revs have a team in the ADASL and, and they mm-hmm. have a, a a reserve team that plays there year round and they have a U twenty three team below that that plays year round and I think they've even gotten down to a U twenty team that plays year round and they've started youth and they've they've kind of went from being and and it's it's a different road than CFC took, but it's kind of the same idea in that what what you guys built at CFC, what what the Revs have built, different places, different setups, different needs, but it needed to be more than a ten week season. It needed to be more than just a summer thing, and they there's ways to do that, and that's what's exciting about where things are going. And I. It's like I don't want to see teams not get the opportunity to play in the Open Cup because they they can't have their college guys. But I also do kind of like that it's forcing some of those teams that maybe have the means to be more than just a 10-week thing to be more of a 40-week thing and impact the game on a bigger scale. You know, here at Chattanooga FC, we've kind of like went back in time a little bit uh, because last year we rolled out our, our women's team who had been on a, a hiatus for several years. So we're kind of dipping back into that uh, amateur MPSL kind of, kind of, uh, feel to it. And it kind of made me start thinking, uh, you know, at Atlanta, the Atlanta Metro has been without a, uh, a professional women's team. Uh, I don't remember when the last time they fielded one was, but where do you see the women's game in Atlanta and is Atlanta United ever, you, you see them moving to a, a women's team, uh, like some of the other MLS teams have Portland thorns, you know, I think they will. Um, I think they would have before COVID. Uh, I think if, if COVID hadn't hit, I think you would have an Atlanta team in the NWSL already. We had a we had a chance that 
it's crazy the timing of everything the the home game before uh covid stopped the league in 2020 uh we had arthur blank on our pregame show and it wasn't a question from mike or i about nwsl wasn't even on our list of topics arthur brought it up that they were exploring the possibility and they were looking at it and really interested in it and, and look covid had changed everything um and the COVID ruined was, a lot of stuff okay <laughs> yeah, it, just, it was a crusher of dreams it, i mean shelly you can tell about i mean we were, cfc was ready to have the wolfsburg women come over yes. and, inter- and reintroduce oh. the women uh the oh, cfc wow. women to chattanooga uh, yeah, so yeah, you're right. And it crushed those dreams real quick. <laughs> COVID was a <laughs> was a nuisance to say the least. It it changed a lot of trajectories for a lot of things in the country, let alone soccer. But I, I think if that hadn't happened, Atlanta United probably would be there already. I I think since that conversation, the NWSL has been in a lot of different places since then. Um, yeah, a lot of unwanted places. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and there's still work to do, I think, for the league to get to a point that maybe um, some owners, some investors, because that's what it would be. It'd be an investment, I think, to start before it would be a, a moneymaker. But I do think it would be a moneymaker. I, I think women's soccer in Atlanta is is ready for something done it the, the right way, just like the men were before Atlanta United started. I mean... You know, people would look at the attendance for the Silverbacks and say, ah, they can't be an MLS because look at the attendance for the Silverbacks. And I'm like, if you only knew that there were three years in a row with the Silverbacks that the season would end and we're doing the last home game and we didn't think the team was coming back the next year. And, and it did <laughs> because it was like Bernie from weekend to Bernie's. They, the league would <laughs> let it go. Um, I, I mean, it's funny. The last year, 2015, was probably the year that i'm like ah they'll, they'll, it'll be back and we'll wear another in 2016 no problem and then uh late or kind of early january they pulled the plug it's you have to have the right person doing it and and this is anywhere it's not even just an atlanta thing this is any team to be successful and cfc is a testament to it atlanta united's a testament to it I think a lot of the other success stories of, of soccer teams in the Southeast are a testament to this. And, and the, the failures, I think, are a testament to it as well. It has to have the right leadership. And we can we can get into like the, the minimum standards and you have to be worth X, Y, and Z, and, this, and then the market, the market's great, it's the TV rate, all this stuff. We can get into all that, and that's all a factor. But if you have all the right stuff in the right market and the right place, but you don't have the right owner, it's going to fail. If you are in a different market that maybe doesn't check all the boxes that everybody made up, and Atlanta on in MLS is a prime example. There were so many people in 2014 who said Atlanta was going to be a failure in the league and it was going to Present, set the league back. Sitting and, here. <laughs> I, uh, a lot of people were. I, I Obviously, being an Atlanta guy, wasn't to that. I didn't think it'd be what it was straight out of the gate that fast. I thought it would take time to grow, but... I knew it could be successful because it hadn't been done right. And you had the right person doing it. Because yeah. if, if you don't know Arthur Blank's story and you don't know him and you don't know what he did with the Falcons when he took the Falcons over, it's if you don't have that right person to do it, it won't be successful in the right market. If you well, have and the right I think that's the thing, it, right? Like when I looked at it, it's like, is Arthur Blank going to be that kind of owner or is he going to be more of a Bob Kraft kind of owner? 
You know what I mean? And so yeah, I think, if, I think that was my reservation. Through, like we've right. all seen NFL owners like try to delve into the soccer world right. and really like yeah, kind of halfway do it and like it, it'd be a total flop. So I think that was my reservation. And, and Arthur's not that guy. He he just isn't. He I I had the the, the luxury of that time getting to know him as a business person and, and as a foundation leader because I, I worked for soccer in the streets and, and the Arthur Blank family foundation supported soccer in the streets, whether it was through the Falcons in different ways and then the, the family foundation and, and bringing nonprofits together and all the work that they do in the community that he doesn't try to get attention for. He just does it because it's the right thing to do. He doesn't do things halfway. And he never has. And it's it's all heart. And th- I'll tell you when I knew that. So 2014, when the team was announced, we had an inkling in 2013 that it was going to happen at some point. We didn't know when, but that, that day was it was more of the it'll happen someday in the future to, OK, it's going to happen sometime kind of soon. And it was announced in 2014. And I was hopeful. And the initial deposit numbers were all great. and Everybody's excited. Tell you when I knew that it was gonna work and really work well was 2015. We did an event, a fundraiser for soccer in the streets, uh, our ATL Champions League, where people who play in it have to raise a certain amount of money um, to to be able to participate. It, it would bring, I think, that year we had like 10 different teams, so probably about 150, 200 people together to to play in this thing, and. From the very beginning of putting that tournament together, Atlanta United didn't even have a name yet. It was MLS Atlanta. Um, And Darren, who was already here, was like, we're going to put a team in. We're going to play. We're going to support this. I'm like, okay, great. This is awesome. This is going to help get people wanting to play. It's going to get people raising money. This is great. This is amazing. Carlos Carlos Bocanegra had been hired by that point. He played. So, you know, if you committed to raise money for, for soccer in the streets, you got to play against a former U.S. men's national team captain. It's amazing stuff. It was cool. But Arthur came out to to watch his, his employees play. And he didn't just come out and, like, make an appearance and then leave. He stayed at high school stadium on turf, middle of May. Felt like it was about 100 degrees. He stayed out there all day with his team, cheering them on, handing guys water, like, it it was he took it like it was his team that he started. And this is at a charity event with, you know, five hundred people there. When I saw that, I'm like, wow! Like this is even more passionate than I knew because I knew his kids played and I knew he was like into it as a fan. But you know, to see that, I'm like, okay, this isn't gonna be halfway, and I I, I think it's gonna be special. But even at that, like going to that first game in Chattanooga and seeing people wearing Atlanta United stuff, which hadn't even played a real game yet by that point. That was amazing. And then that first game at Bobby Dodd with, it felt like 50,000 people wearing Atlanta United jerseys. It was surreal to me as somebody who had watched the Atlanta ruckus at a high school stadium in 1995 with 700 people, maybe. To see it go from there to there, just insane. Yeah, it was ama- it was amazing. I was I was you know this will this damp this always kind of dents my lower league soccer cred, but I was I was there for that first match uh, at see, Georgia Tech. 
that's something that I, 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 I hate that that's even a, a topic. And I get it. I understand. I come from the, the music fandom side of things where right. like, things get big. That's not cool. You know, I, I yeah. saw them first when they played in this little tiny bar, blah, blah, blah. I, I think in general in the South, and it's not all, it's not everybody. And, and I know we've all got our, our things and our hangups. I get it. But I think in general, like maybe in the South, more than other parts of the country, we've seen people find ways to be fans of teams at different levels and, and support the grassroots side and the big stuff. I want more people who go to Atlanta United games to go to a CFC game, to go to a Georgia Revolution game, to go to their local high school game, to go to a college game. I love seeing all of it. And like my prep doesn't change from, you know, calling the game on Saturday to calling MLS Cup. It's it's a game that could be when you walk in the door, it could be the best game you've ever seen. It could easily be the best game you see all year or the best game, the craziest goal, the craziest moment that you'll ever see in your life. And that could be at an ISA game, at an MLS game, at a national team game, at a high school game. doesn't matter. One of the best games I called last year anywhere was single A girls state championship game between social circle and commerce. One of the best games I called in 2022. I, I loved it. It was such a fun game. All of it is important. And, and I, I know you weren't saying like, I, I know what you were saying. Like, I, I totally get it. That, <laughs> well, that comes up in the community too much. And I hate that because I, uh, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I agree philosophically and pre 2018, Jim would have agreed with you all the way. Uh, but there are some things. <laughs> There are some things that have had occurred in the summer of 2018 that forged my, um, uh, for I guess kind of um, redefined who I was as a soccer fan. And maybe one day we'll have you on and we can talk about those things. But um, yeah, the uh, I, there's pre 2018 me uh, soccer me and post 2018, and now I'm you know I I was radicalized and I'm a militant and um, and so some would say I'm a little salty. But that's you know that's fun. Salty, you. <laughs> here's the here's the thing I, I would say, and I I know there's a, a different level to this when when we're having the Chattanooga conversation. I'm Switzerland, all right. Like I mm-hmm. I want to go the game at all levels and and deal with people who want to go the game, and I I don't care at what level that is. Um, so I'm I'm in a unique area, and I know that that's fine. I I do hope that as the the lower division side and the grassroots side of it continues to grow that we don't have to have and again i know the chattanooga situation is a different animal but in general i don't think there has to be an antagonistic back and forth i I think if you don't want to go to mls games i totally understand that if if you're an mls fan and you don't want to go to the lower division games i understand that i think the 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 arguing between the factions is counterproductive because it doesn't achieve anything. I've always felt like whether you're a, like a supporter of, of Atlanta United or you're a supporter of CFC or, or Greenville or, or Birmingham or anything, grow what you can grow. Like get in, do it, grow it, love it. If you have time to support other stuff too, or you want to get into other stuff or you want to watch games from Ecuador or Argentina or England or wherever, I, Cool. That's great. But 
love what you love and don't let people tell you not to love it. If you love it, love it and yeah. and get thoroughly into it. I'm with you, Jason. I, I would like to see uh, people, and, and you're right, it, it goes both ways, uh, right? Like there's there's MLS guys that, that aren't going to go uh, watch a Georgia Revolution game and, you know, that sort of thing. But I would love to see that there be more uh, investment at the grassroots level. Like if you're, you know, and I know there's people that go to Atlanta United games, uh, kind of like I go to a Braves game. My baseball fan, no. I go to a Braves game and enjoy the game. Yeah, I, I will. Uh, but I, I'd like to see people as somebody I cover, um, you know, uh, high school soccer in Dalton, Whitfield County. And uh, man, I, I would love for that kind of environment to be at all high school, you know, soccer stadiums where, you know, there's, you know, 1500 people there to watch, you know, high school kids like it's Friday night football. And uh, I think that would almost do more for the game than absolutely anything. Uh, so I always encourage people. I was like, hey, if you're going to a Chattanooga FC game and you support soccer at that level, you're going to uh, an MLS game, you know, go out and, and support your local high school team, you know, this spring uh, and and get in on that level and make those kids, you know, uh, make them feel like what they're playing for is important because I, I think that stuff yeah. really matters. Same with college. I, I think it's it's important. And, you know, we all have limited bandwidth and and until we win the mega millions limited dollars to spend on all this stuff i i totally understand that but like it, it's all necessary the the game in in the united states and it's in any country but we're in the u.s so we'll talk about it here you're not going to have an mls team in every market of any significant size ever it's not going to happen you don't have an NFL team. You don't have a Major League Baseball team, NBA team. It's not going to happen with MLS. Just like you're not going to have a good grassroots product in every market that's going to be captivating either because in a, in a bigger market, it's, it's hard for it to work. I saw it with second division teams in Atlanta over the years. It's hard to cut through the noise with the Falcons and the Braves and the Hawks and Georgia football and NASCAR and all those things. If you are on a second division budget, if you're on a minor league budget in a major league city, it's tough. You need all of it. And whether your your reason for needing it is you're a U.S. soccer fan, a U.S. national team fan on the men's or the women's side, every player in coming from Los Angeles or, or Dallas, you're, you need to find some players in Chattanooga. You need to find some players in, you know, in Mississippi. You need to find some players in these places because last time I, I checked, there's nothing special in the water in those other places. And for that to happen... You've got to have places for those kids to play. You got to have dreams for those kids to dream. You got to have heroes for those kids to watch, and you need that. Whether it's that hero plays in NISA in the in the UPSL or an MLS, they need those heroes, and we need all of it for soccer in this country to be as successful as it can be. Well, I was, I was. You, you brought up water, and that you know, that's kind of a. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a big subject in this. It's area. a big subject between yeah. Tennessee and Georgia. We won't. Oh, we won't, we, yeah, you're we not won't. getting our water, no matter. You're not getting our. You may not be special, but it's ours. <laughs> I'm yeah, gonna have exactly. to figure out how to bring some of that back with <laughs> me after you leave Tennessee. Yeah, you, yeah, you might glow like a glow stick, but it's ours. <laughs> oh, I'll skip that part. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Uh, 
So, Jason, just to get get this back to uh, I guess next weekend's friendly. What uh, what what are you looking for um, from Atlanta United, and and what do you what are you looking for? What what should our fans look for? You know, any I know you said earlier on that it, they're a real work in progress, and it's very early for both for both squads. Um, what 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 should we be looking for? Any any names or numbers that uh, that you 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 think that uh, CFC fans should be looking for? I think on the Atlanta side, um, if you're a CFC fan, you don't know Atlanta United super well, and you're wondering what they're going to look like at this stage of preseason. Um, it's it's a shame where it kind of falls because uh, Caleb Wiley would be a player that I would tell you to watch. Um, I think he's a future national team left back. Uh, he's going to be with the U-20s um, at a training camp. Tyler Wolf is going to be with the U-20s. I think Noah Cobb is going to be with the U-19s. I'd love to see Noah in this game. Um, but you're going to see some Atlanta United Academy players. I don't know exactly who's going to play. Um, I'm very, I'm anxious to see that because I've had a chance over the years to see the Academy guys in these kinds of situations. Um, and Noah was one last year in preseason, saw him play Celaya from the second division in Mexico and, and looked like a star in that game down in Mexico and fit right in playing uh, alongside, you know, Miles Robinson and guys like that. So, I love to see that. So look for the academy guys that, that play in this. Um, I was look hoping for the, you were going to say that because we really value our academy signees to ours. So I was really hoping we might see some of y'all's academy. That's something I, I was going to say too is is uh, the, the Rodriguez brothers for you guys. I oh, yeah. mean, I, I have had a chance to see them in high school and I, I'd love to see them in this game. Um, did, you end up, what, did you call some of their state championship games when they were at Dalton? I I called the only Dalton State Championship game that I had to call. I always felt like I got in the the other side of the bracket and got the other classifications. I called last year. For uh, Dalton. Last year, <laughs> the year they yeah. didn't win it. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, last year I got all the Dalton teams down in Macon with uh, Southeast versus Northwest and even Dalton Academy too. Um, uh, the, what a story I, that was. Yeah, that was amazing to see. Um. I did get to call Dalton uh, and Johnson of Gainesville last year as well. We did a we do a game of the week on our, our soccer down here platform, and I've known the Johnson program for a long time. That Which, that was, was one an of incredible the craziest game. games. Yeah, that game was insane. That was one of the craziest games I called last year. So, like, I love to see the academy guys, and I know Chattanooga's roster is is probably even more in in flux than, than Atlanta's will be because it's very early days. Um, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the Rodriguez brothers. I like uh, Gray as well. He was a player yeah, who yeah, he's fun. He jumped out to me prepping for the Open Cup last year, and I I was impressed with him. And I, I want to see how he continues to develop. I think he's a, a a very very good player. What do you think the odds are we'll see some of uh, Atlanta United's uh, first like first teamers? Uh, is Almeida back? Um, what's the situation with uh, Miles Robinson? I think you'll see him. I think you you might see him for 45, maybe 30 in some cases. Miles is is a unique one coming back from a, an Achilles, but the training session that they've had that was fully open to the media, um, I've, I saw all of that session, and I saw the first 20 minutes of the session that was available this week. And Miles was a participant in both. And Gonzalo Pineda talked about how they're you know managing his workload. You know, Maybe he, he's a participant, but he's not, full bore in every single thing at full speed. 
You know, they're, they've got to be smart with his his coming back from an Achilles injury. Brad Gazan is an animal in terms of his recovery from Achilles. Um, I think they were having to hold him back from doing stuff last year because he was pushing like so well and he's recovered so well. Probably we'll see Brad. Uh, Miles, I, I don't know. I wonder if they'll be maybe a little more careful with him. Uh, Tiago Almada back full full participant in training. I think you'll see him. He's he's a gamer. He loves to play wherever it is, and I, I think you'll see some of him. Um, I think you'll see. And just judging from what I saw last year in preseason, as we got to do a, a lot of the games with streams and with radio, I think you'll see the as first choice as it can be for a short period of time in Chattanooga. I think that period of time that they play together gets longer throughout the preseason. It's, it's almost like a ramp up of, you know, whether it's 30 or 45 in Chattanooga, when they go down to Mexico and play a couple of teams, they'll probably play more like 60 and in 70 minutes. And then with Toluca and the American family insurance cup, uh, about a week and a half before the season, that might be close to a dress rehearsal with the first team. So 30 to 45 minutes, I think you'll see as, as first choice as they can be next week. You know, I, I think that's good too for uh, for a number of reasons, but not the least of which is, you know, as long as these, these teams are separated by leagues and can't really be, you know, competitors at pretty much in the Open Cup and friendlies, I think it's good uh, crossover. You know, we have plenty of people that are CFC fans that are also Atlanta United fans. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, being so close together, they they are different experiences. So I think it's, I think it's good for Atlanta to come up and roll out their first team. And uh, you know, there's some players. Wow, some big. I mean, you know, you bring on Amada. You know, that, that's a guy that just won the World Cup. You know, yeah. so it's kind of kind of surreal to think about that. I would um, imagine that he would be the first World Cup winner to play a soccer match in Chattanooga. I don't. Uh, I, I would have to been one at another time on the I men's would, side. That's, anyway. that's good trivia. That's good trivia. Yeah. 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 On the men's Probably. side, women's side, I know we've seen it, but on the yeah, on women's side, we've side. had it. Be I, yeah, I don't, yeah. It might be. I think yeah. it would be. Um, and and uh, that stuff's cool. I mean, again, like you know, when you start getting back to what's next, you know, when when we're all done doing this stuff, it's it's about the kids and Chattanooga kids getting a chance to see a World Cup winner in the flesh in their stadium that's amazing that's insane i i I couldn't even imagine that if i was a kid if i was nine years old and had a chance to see a guy who just won the world cup and played next to Lionel messi maybe the greatest player ever he's playing in my town in my stadium against my local team yeah so it goes it goes back to 86 right when you were watching that semifinal if if that weekend or sometime in the very near future you could have went to a game in Atlanta and saw one of those players like on the field. I mean, that's, that's a different My head experience. would have exploded. I wouldn't be here. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, it's the stuff that we, it's the stuff that I think we've all wanted wherever we fall in terms of American soccer, whether it's grassroots, whether it's, you know, MLS only or whatever. I, I think this is the kind of stuff that we've, we've all wanted to be able to have one team from a city playing another one and fans are going to travel and I mean, it was great to see the cfc fans come down for open cup you're going to see atlanta fans in chattanooga next week and it's it's in a situation where yeah you're right i mean these teams aren't going to be in the same league and it's an opportunity for fans to have their primary team but i hope that atlanta united fans from from north georgia from north of the city 
who might come up to this, maybe they don't know CFC. Maybe they don't know Neeson. Maybe they, they don't know the schedule. I hope they find out, and I hope they come back. And I hope some Chattanooga fans come down when they get a chance during the summer or whenever to see an Atlanta United game at the Benz. That stuff's good. It, it, it grows. It doesn't mean you abandon your, your love. It just means, hey, get a chance to sample more soccer. That's a good thing. Well, Jason, we really appreciate the time that you're spending with us to, to talk a little bit about Atlanta United and, and the friendly coming up and your thoughts on soccer in the South. Uh, you know, again, I, 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 uh, I really appreciate you um, talking with us. And uh, where can folks find you on the, on the interwebs? So Longshoe on any of your social media platforms is the place to find me. Um, 92.9 The Game uh, is where we call Atlanta United games. Uh, we're kick, we did a, a World Cup show um, nightly. I think we were the only terrestrial radio station in the country to have a, a nightly World Cup show this time around. And it went really well to the point that we're going to have a weekly Monday night show. Um, generally, 11 o'clock will be the start. It might move a little bit depending on a Hawks game in front of us. Uh, but 11 o'clock, first show is this Monday. And we're going to talk about Atlanta and Chattanooga. But every Monday night on 92.9 The Game, you can listen on the Odyssey app and soccer down here as well. I'm not on the, the morning show every day anymore. Um, I got COVID last summer, and I still deal with long COVID issues. and Morning shows are a little harder to, to deal with because my sleep patterns are all over the map mm. um, since I got COVID. But uh, I, I will be doing shows on soccer down here, and we're starting our Georgia high school soccer show next week. Um, so there will definitely be some crossover between the high school shows. Uh, that, that I'm already hoping will happen. Yeah, and we're going to be doing high school games. Uh, yeah, we start our uh, Monday Night Football up here in uh, Dalton uh, this weekend. We do our coaches show uh, with all of our coaches from Dalton with Phil Murray County. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. I will be paying attention to that. And then we'll be talking about some of the stuff that you guys do on uh, covering the Dalton area on our uh, Soccer's in Session that's going to start on Wednesday on the Soccer Down Here Network. Um, and it's going to carry on into the fall and cover Georgia college soccer as well, but kind of bridging the gap and talking to college coaches about how to get recruited and talking to high school coaches across the state about the growth of the game. So I, I try to do on whatever platform I'm on, I, I try to bring more people to the game and, and help it grow. Jason, I just wanted to, uh, before we, we get off, so I just wanted to uh, extend um, our condolences from uh, the 423 soccer pod. I know the Atlanta United uh, family lost a, a member of their family uh, earlier today with uh, the passing of Antoine, Anton Walks. And uh, so I just wanted to extend our condolences to you and uh, our deepest sympathies. Yeah, it was a, it was a sad thing to wake up to this morning. Um, Anton was really one of the good guys in the game. And um, first year, you know, he was a kid on loan from, from Tottenham and, and scored some huge goals and had some huge moments. But it was really when he came back, um, in 2020, and especially in 2020, when you know we're all dealing with with COVID and the pandemic and playing games behind closed doors and, and figuring out how to do these things, Anton was always willing to chat. He was always willing to hop on Skype. He was always willing to do an interview with us for radio or for the club, and he always had a smile on his face. And just seeing some of the the posts from current teammates in Charlotte, former teammates here in Atlanta, guys who were you know, teammates with him back in 2017. Just heartbreaking 
to, to see something like this. And, and my thoughts have been all day with his, his family and friends and, and teammates and the, the suffering that they're dealing with right now. Well, again, thanks so much uh, for spending some time with us. And we hope to see you in a couple of weeks uh, and hope to see a bunch of folks wearing uh, Atlanta United gear. And, and I hope, we hope they leave unhappy, but we hope they have a good time. <laughs> well. it'll, it'll be fun. And for folks out there who uh, can't make it to the game, first off, like find a way to make it, number one. Exactly. And, and if you can't uh, listen to us on 92.9 The Game, we will be doing a full uh, broadcast pregame, oh, cool. postgame. Uh, we'll have an hour of postgame afterwards. And, and we'll be covering everything from 92.9 The Game from Finley Stadium. Awesome, and great. And if it's great. buying the ticket that gets you, holler at me. I'll buy you a ticket. That's, a, that's right. <laughs> there we that's go. Right. All right. Again, th- thanks, Jason, and uh, yeah, ho- have, a, have a great evening. Thanks for having me, y'all too. Hey, thanks, right. Jason. And again, a big thanks to Jason Longshore for taking some time out to talk to us. Uh, obviously, I mean, that guy's history in, in soccer around the Atlanta area just goes way back. I, like, I didn't, I didn't realize that he went back to the ruckus. I mean, that's saying something. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't realize. I mean, I knew he was. I knew he had connections to the MPSL Southeast. I knew he had connections, and worked for uh, the Silverbacks Reserve. But I did not really realize the extent to which he was involved with the Atlanta club, you know, the Atlanta MPSL club, and and really the the Southeastern Conference or the Southern Region of MPSL. So that was interesting to hear. Um, and I learned something tonight. So, well, that's awesome. There you go, folks. Yeah. I know. Gooner learned yeah. something tonight. Uh, that's right. Well, um, I think, you know, that's it. We've been on here for a long time, folks. I can't believe they're, if they're still listening. Hey, if you're still <laughs> listening to us right now. Oh, they were still can... listening because Jason was talking. They well, don't listen true. when we talk. That's, that's true. true. If, you're, if you're still listening now, give us a hashtag Pulseflower. Hashtag Pulseflower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I can't wait to talk about that as the season goes on. Um Oh my God, this, this, the level of stupidity that we keep reaching. Um, so, uh, Shelly, where yeah. can folks find you on the interwebs to find out more of how you feel about Pulse Flower? <laughs> they can find me on Twitter at ShellyAirs82. And Todd, where can they find you on the internet and talk a little bit about your the show that's coming up? You've talked a little bit about it. You, talk, you mentioned it to, to Jason also, but... The high school soccer is coming up. So, That's right. Uh, we're, we're right back yeah. in it. So you can find me uh, at Great Footballer on Twitter and on Instagram, Monday Night Football, and also on uh, uh, Facebook. Obviously, we got our 423 Soccer Pod there, and uh, I have a Monday Night Football page. Uh, we cover soccer in Dalton, Whitfield County, as well as Murray Counties, and we uh, have our first show coming up, first show recording this Saturday, and it'll air uh It'll air on WDNN in Dalton next Monday night and also be available on YouTube. Great. Uh, before we get out of here, Todd, what's making you smile this week? Man, some weeks it's just finding the end of that work shift, and I finally found it last night, so I'm just glad I've made it through. <laughs> Shelly, what's, what's making you smile? Well, I did a really big presentation last night. Friday on future business process mapping, putting my Six Sigma to good use. And Six my, Sigma. Uh, yeah, woo! I you know black belt? all those out there. I am, yeah, I have not gotten to black belt yet, but I'm working my way slowly there. <laughs> <laughs> but I led a really big uh, process mapping for the state for one of our departments, and I got a kudos email that I was not expecting uh, from the head of our 
CQI department. And then my assistant commissioner actually sent me like a personal congratulations. I was like, Ooh, so it just, it kind of makes you feel nice to know. I mean, I I felt that it went well, but it's kind of nice that I I got those accolades. So it just, it made me smile. And that was in my inbox because it's been a good week, but a crazy week. So it made me smile yesterday whenever I got that. Awesome. Mine is not work related. I'll just give you guys, uh, if, if you haven't seen this, uh, I was perusing Netflix when when Heather was, I don't know what she was doing. She was reading or something. And so I was just looking around trying to find something to watch. And I stumbled upon the hatchet wielding hitchhiker uh, documentary. I'm just, <laughs> it's a, it's a documentary on Netflix. It's called the hatchet wielding hitchhiker. It's a viral video that I met. I didn't see the, I don't remember this video. Uh, and it talks about a guy named Kai or he goes by Kai and uh, he's a hatchet wielding hitchhiker. I, I don't really know what else it's um it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a, I get in amazing. my truck. <laughs> so <laughs> it is a fun watch. So it's on Netflix. Uh, check it out. Kai, I mean, the hatchet wielding hitchhiker. But is this like, is it a documentary or is it like yes, a, it's a documentary? Okay. Yeah. Now I do love me some documentaries, especially if they're true crime or cult. Yeah, related, so. yeah okay. it, well, it's well, He's got a hatchet. I mean, anything's possible. There's a little bit, <laughs> there's a little bit of true crime. There's a little okay. bit of true crime in it. It, tur- okay. it's, it goes from figuring out what the, what, what make this make, makes this guy tick to becoming a kind of a true crime thing. So, okay. uh, yeah, anyway, so that's, I'm down that's for uh, watching that tonight. Yeah, that's yeah, that's making that. me smile. Yeah. It's not, not a long, not a long watch and, uh, it's, it's good. Um, so with that, you could find me, Jim at uh, Chattagooner on the Twitter We've got just over a week until CFC is on the field against Atlanta United. I cannot believe it's that close, but I am really excited. Woo-hoo. And before then, I promise I will purchase my annual pass. Yes, Jim. In- every day, we're going to send you a reminder until you tell Good. us we've gotten it. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised Sam doesn't. Uh, yeah, no well, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's I am getting emails from people. I will tell you that, but uh, I uh, I've I've talked to them about it. I know what I need to do. I just now need to do it, and I promise I will before we record again. But until then, we see you on the uh, interwebs. Go CFC. Go Blues. Oh, and it's got it! Got it! What a shot from Will Street. Off the other side of the crossbar. Nice little chip. Oh, Mr. Oliveira with a cheeky goal.